After several years of pressure and downward action, the price index for the commodities space is finally looking up. CEO of Granite Shares is back, Will Rind. Welcome. Thank you, David. Well, we're going to be talking about this commodity super cycle that we're just about to enter. You were telling me offline about this story. Very interesting story, very important story, because it's not often discussed in the media, but it affects every aspect of our economy. Tell us about what a super cycle is. Well, super cycle is typically coined when you see um, a sustained period of upward prices um, among the commodities. And that's typically for periods that last you know, a year longer, um, but sometimes for as long as like a decade. Uh, and so we refer to that as a super cycle when we see that you know, prolonged upward price pressure over a number of years. And why do you think we're entering one just now? I'm looking at the Bloomberg Commodities Index, which we'll get into a little more detail in just a bit. But over the last 10 years, it's seen a lot of volatility, a lot of pressure. It's been trending down over the last couple of years. And finally, we're starting to see an uptick. Why now? Well, I think, David, you've got to go back to, you know, when was the last time that we had a commodity super cycle? And the last cycle that we had was in the early 2000s. And the reason for that was you had, you know, major emerging economies, China obviously being the largest and the most important one, but Brazil, you know, Russia, India as well, that were industrializing and urbanizing on a unprecedented scale. And so we're consuming a huge amount of raw materials and commodities, which led to a sustained period of uh, outperformance or upward price uh, movement in the commodity complex. Now that all came to an end um, around the time of the financial crisis. Uh, but since then, the market has kind of been consolidated or consolidating. And we've had a situation where CapEx uh, in the commodity sector was low already before COVID. And what COVID has done uh, is just exacerbated that problem even more so. So frankly, you know, producers within the sector were really just running their businesses, you know, last year um, and have been, you know, in pure survival mode as opposed to, you know, spending money on new capital projects. And so now that the vaccine news has come out, we've seen a huge rally in the commodity prices. Obviously, it's commodity like oil going from an extreme of minus $40 at the low um, to now $66 per barrel as we trade today. And this is really formed on the back of you know, higher anticipated demand um, now that the global economy is in a recovery mode, but also higher inflation expectations that we're seeing now for the first time in many years. Okay. You, we'll come back to both demand and inflation. I just want to touch on the commodities. So first of all, thank you for clarifying. The commodities we're referring to are all commodities, industrials, precious, agricultural, and energy. And you're right, the prices of these commodities have risen a lot since the pandemic, well, the start of the pandemic last year, exactly a year ago. But I wonder how much of this price increase is simply due to a supply crunch, logistical issues with agriculture, with, uh, with everything else. I think quite a lot of it, David, and that's the kind of initial momentum that we've seen. And I think that I think it's still got some room to go here. I mean, who would have thought in the depths of last year that we'd be talking about an oil price back over fifty dollars, let alone mm -hmm. above sixty dollars um, as we trade today? So I think absolutely, you know, in terms of the immediate reaction um, to the vaccination and the more positive uh, news now around COVID, is that absolutely uh, we're seeing you know the result of that. 
you know, in manifesting itself in higher commodity prices. But I think there's good reason to believe that it's more than just a demand recovery and is more than just bottlenecks in supply um, that are now coming back. And I think that um, the next sort of few years, as we transition uh, to a sort of green industrial revolution, if you will, you know, we're seeing huge amounts of demand for particularly metals, um, but any type of raw material that will be used to rebuild our global economy um, away from carbon. Okay. How long do these super cycles usually last, Will? It lasts a number of years, David. Sometimes, you know, sometime around a decade. I mean, typically people refer to the last one in the 2000s uh, lasting almost a decade. Um, and then obviously we had previous you know, super cycles before. And indeed, people are making analogies around this uh, potential start could be like what we saw in the 70s. It was a period of, of high inflation and was really the last inflation-driven commodity boom that we saw. Uh, obviously, people thought that that would manifest itself in the early 2000s. And we, though we did get the, the commodity price increases, we never got that inflation boom um, that we saw in the 70s. So yeah. this time around, um, there's much more, I think, uh, talk about higher inflation. I think the commodity boom we saw in the early 2000s, a large part of that was due to the China story, the growth of China and their, and their uh, appetite for raw commodities. A lot of their growth, especially on the uh, construction and manufacturing front, has slowed in recent years as they shift to a more consumerist economy. Do you see that weighing down on commodities in the near-term future as they continue to grow into a more technologically advanced consumerist economy? I think that it's going to be a different type of boom, David. So, you know, this time around, uh, you're going to see an uptick in demand for raw materials, commodities. And I think it'd be less so about urbanization and industrialization and much more about technology, as you said. But the technology this time around is going to be building a green economy. And mm -hmm. so we need, you know, key metals. We've talked about lithium. We've talked about platinum in the past. We've talked about copper, all sorts of other uh, ingredients that are needed to uh, move to a carbon-free future. And so there will be new sources of demand we're seeing right now, just it'll be different from before. Okay. Let's go through the uh, the different sectors of the commodities now. We've talked about the precious, sorry, the, uh, the the base metals required for the electrification story. Let's talk about energy first. Let's move on to oil. So, as you know, oil has pretty much collapsed last year. Swift rebound. We're back at about $60 a barrel. Some people are calling for $100 a barrel by the end of the year. Some people say that's too optimistic. What's your outlook? I think in the short term, David, oil prices can go higher because... You know, we had a uh, big bottleneck in supply. We still got OPEC and Saudi Arabia being, you know, the largest producer still um, publicly at least um, committing to supply cuts in the market. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the more important thing here is a, is a demand recovery. Uh, and that could, of the short term, propel prices higher than what we're seeing even today. Okay. And the reopening of the economy, that's, that's part of your thesis as to why there's going to be higher demand or is there something else as well? Yeah, absolutely. It's part of the thesis in terms of high demand, but I think also, you know, what's happening here is that you're seeing coordinated stimulus programs, both monetary and fiscal, from the major central banks around the world. And I think, um, you know, policies that much more this time around, as opposed to that what happened after the financial crisis, um, this time around is going to be much more socially orientated. You know, governments targeting full employment, 
and therefore the, the money supply moving much faster than we saw you know, after the financial crisis. So when we're talking about redistribution of wealth type policies and more money going into hands of more people in the economy, then obviously people are going to consume more and consuming more will be beneficial for the commodity markets. Do you think this story would hold even if we didn't have a pandemic? Let's say the crisis we had last year never happened and there's no, there's no reopening trade, so to speak, and we just sort of had a steady growth in the economy. Would there be still more demand in oil as you had, as you had mentioned? Well, I think if, if you're talking about a situation where the pandemic never happened, then the trend for a lot of these commodity prices would probably still be marginally lower um, because, you know, the uh, commodity markets, and obviously they're all slightly different, but uh, if you're talking about oil specifically, um, you know, it was difficult for, we, we had oversupply of oil in the world, and therefore that was adjusting itself. Um, and, you know, I think the, the pandemic was something that accelerated uh, that mm -hmm. supply story. But, you know, again, absent of some kind of major demand push, what the industry, the only thing the industry can do is really adjust on the supply side or adjust the supply sure. side. And so that would continue to be adjusted until it came to a point where, you know, the economy was strong enough to stimulate demand again. Do you think the green energy trade could at some point in the future outcompete the energy trade? Well, in, in many ways, they could be one of the same thing or, you know, two sides of the same coin. Um, but certainly we're talking about the race for new energy uh, and the green economy kind of more broadly. So we've heard, you know, Elon Musk has publicly you know, right. mentioned metals such as nickel and saying that you know, producers have to produce more of it. Um, but I think in terms of hydrogen, that's a, a big, exciting sort right. of area where I expect a lot of capex that's really starting to have happen now at the government level uh, as well as you know at the corporate level and so you know people are really pushing hard to transform uh, the global energy infrastructure as we have it today into a, a carbon-free world right i'm just curious specifically in regards to oil because as we do transition to a more green economy wouldn't there be less demand for crude oil yeah absolutely so clearly in a in a carbon-free world or an energy environment that is rapidly decarbonizing, then the highest profile victim, if you will, has to be oil itself. Yeah. Um, and so over the, over the longer term, you'd expect the price of oil to decline you know, as demand for oil declines accordingly. And mm -hmm. that will be replaced with uh, other sources of uh, energy. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Now let's talk about agriculture. The next one on the list. Uh, another very interesting sector, soft, uh, soft commodities have seen very strong uh, price growth as well. It, in fact, I've seen it in my grocery stores. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so, um, you know, food prices just more broadly, there's an inflationary effect um, that's happened the pandemic uh, and the knock-on effects of supply chains and obviously producers themselves. Um, very, very destabilizing year last year. Um, so there are, again, the pandemics of circumstances resulting in higher prices. But, you know, the, the, the bigger story, I think, for agricultural commodities is always weather dependent. And again, we have an environment where the weather is more unstable um, due to the climate. We have more unpredictability uh, around the crops, and therefore that leads to, you know, spikes in prices for whatever commodity or whatever crop is affected most. So it's much more weather dependent. Uh, at the high level. Okay. And how much of this price growth then 
that's weather dependent and sustainable. And will you do you think that this could cause some significant impact on inflationary pressure for the entire economy? Yes, in terms of food prices, um, because obviously that's one of the things that in terms of the inflation basket that people obviously feel most because they have to you know, consume on a daily basis. And so typically when you're talking about um, the commodity prices moves that affect people most, it's energy and food. Um, and so you know, higher food prices at the grocery store um, does affect consumer behavior. And obviously if people have to pay more, then that's a root cause of inflation itself. Right. And finally, precious metals. Everything's been rising, rising except precious metals, it seems. I'm talking about specifically gold and silver. Platinum's actually had a nice run, rhodium as well. But these precious metals, the big ones, gold and silver, they haven't done very well, despite loose monetary policy, despite stimulus that we've seen. It's peaked in August, and we've never seen $2,000 again. Why is that? Well, the major story, David, has been a rise in real yields. And accompanying that rise in real yields has been an increase in the value of the dollar. And really, you know, most people couldn't have probably gotten more bearish um, on the dollar you know, when gold went to an all-time high in the middle of last year. And I think so much so that it was probably one of the most overcrowded trades out there. And so what we've seen in the back half of last year and coming into this year is a resurgence in the dollar. It's probably some short covering you know, going on, but a resurgence of the dollar and of course, real yields, inflation expectations pick up. So that's definitely hurt gold over the short term. But longer term, you know, as I've said on, the, on this show you know, many times before, um, I think that it can only go so far in terms of the actual real yields themselves before the Fed or the central banks intervene um, and exercise yield curve control. Yeah, okay. I'd like to talk about the relationship between monetary policy and commodities. I, I know this is something that... We, that was discussed a lot in our show, and I've gotten a lot of different opinions, but the consensus seems to be that commodities prefer lower rates. First of all, do you agree with this view? I think that most um, businesses, most sectors prefer lower rates because all things being equal, if the cost of financing is low, then you have a more you know, conducive or fluid business environment. So mm -hmm. typically a lot of producers borrow money, um, there's leverage involved, and so it's easier to do that and less expensive when rates are low. Um, so generally speaking, yes, I, I subscribe to that theory. Well, I like to examine the relationship between monetary policy and commodities. So people talk about how monetary policy, where loose monetary policy typically is good for commodities. But if you examine the entire history of the Fed funds rate, let's just go back to the 1950s, for example, you'll see that there were periods of time when the Federal Reserve lowered rates but that drop in rates isn't always followed by a rise in commodity prices. We're seeing that now in 2020 and 2021, and people are saying there is a relationship. But is it fair to say that there is a relationship? Is that a historically accurate comparison to make? I think it's, it's not quite as correlated as, or as black and white as that, um, in that it's not necessarily cause and effect. Um, it's more a function of, I think, if you have looser monetary policy just more broadly, um, you have more money you know, floating around the economy and therefore, you know, from a business perspective, your borrowing costs are lower and perhaps you borrow more um, and pay obviously a lower rate for doing that. But, you know, the other aspect to the stimulus type policies is what's happening with that money. And if we're talking about redistribution policies, i.e. money going into the economy and going into people's pockets through direct, you know, stimulus payments, as we saw 
uh, last year and will continue to see here in the United States, or just more broadly speaking, redistribution policies, um, then you know, those can be stimulative for commodity prices because mm -hmm. if the net result is people consuming more, whether they're buying um, more you know, white goods or whether they're buying more food products, you know, those are all pushing demand for the underlying commodities themselves. Okay. Finally, let's talk about investment instruments that are exposed to the Bach Commodities Index. The Bloomberg Commodities Index is a popular index, is one such instrument. The, uh, the ETF that you have that tracks this commodity index is the COMB ETF, COM. Tell us about that and how that works. Yeah, so in the commodity world, you know, the Bloomberg Commodity Index, it's a broad index, kind of think of it like an S&P type, S&P 500 for the commodity world. So broad index covers 23 individual commodities. Those are the most economically significant and liquid uh, commodities in the world. And so that index breaks out into the four major sectors. So you have energy, you have precious metals, industrial metals, and agriculture. And you have a diversified exposure to each one of those underlying commodities with a cap on each sector at 33%. So in other words, no single sector can represent more than a third of the index at any given time. So it maintains its diversification uh, across the board. Right. And I, I know the COMB ETF that you have is a passively managed ETF that tracks this index. I'm wondering if you've ever considered creating an actively managed ETF that tracks this, well, similar basket of commodities, but except you have the freedom of overweighting or underweighting certain commodity sectors that you deem could outperform or underperform in the near term. Have you considered that? Yeah, it's something that we, we consider all the time in terms of different ideas. I think that you know, what you get with an index and some of the reasons I think the, the strengths of um, a product like that is that typically people are just looking to get exposure to the market and they're looking at it for one or two reasons. You know, number one, because they want diversification. In other words, they want another return stream um, that's different to traditional stocks and bonds. Or, as in the case, perhaps more and more now, they want to hedge against inflation. And so they're using broad commodities such as COMB as a way to do that. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate the thank update. Thank you, David. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to have you. And thank you for watching Kiko News. I'm David Lin.